Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey, everybody. Uh, glad to be with you today. Today's show has Ryan Estes. Ryan, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Drew. I'm excited to be here. So just a little bit of background. Uh, I, I actually completed the Hoffman process uh, four years ago, um, but I, I've stayed with the process. I, I've done two actually Q2 graduate programs. Um, and then through, through all of this, have, have connected to the Instagram live to, to do some additional work. And, um, just a little bit of background, uh, I, am an entrepreneur. I own a business that's a, uh, management consultancy. And, and prior to all, all of this, we, we would do a lot of, uh, research and, and then publish that research and I would do live events or engagements. So delivering about 80 live events, keynote speeches, session, uh, live seminars, and strategy sessions for, for large companies uh, all over the world. I just saw that you were recognized as one of the best keynote speakers ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that was a couple of years ago, Meetings and Conventions Magazine. Man, we still get a lot of mileage out of that. So I, I guess that resonates. That's uh, yeah. What makes a good keynote speaker? Well, I, I think expertise is one. So in the in the genre I keynote in, I think, you know, people are hiring me to be a subject matter expert. So I'm predominantly focused on on sales growth and leadership effectiveness. But I also think that there's a an engagement and ability to to I call it edutainment, right? You're you're educating the audience, but there's also a little bit of entertainment and connection. And and I think what also really helps is emotional resonance. I think when you can blend new insight with emotional resonance, that propels people to to want to make a change. And that's really what it's all about for me. Can you feel that connection that you make with the audience around emotional resonance when it's happening? Most definitely. And I would <laughs> say that uh, the Hoffman process and experience has elevated my ability to do that. Uh, it's made me more courageous in my willingness to what I would describe as go there. And uh, I've seen the results firsthand. And we have a, a whole folder of those testimonials just to remind us that you can truly have an extraordinary impact on someone's life in one hour. Wow. And when you, you know, as a former therapist, we, we talk about presenting problem. We don't really use those terms in the Hoffman process, but what was your presenting issue or presenting problem or just downright motivation for taking the process? I would say that uh, I, I arrived at the process in, in a bit of a crisis. Uh, you know, I, I think so much of my life had been about around based around striving and achievement. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of my, my self-worth and inner feelings was, was attached to uh, achievement and, and it required external validation. I mean, you know, 
talk about the process. I mean, I uncovered, hey, that's that's how I was raised. I developed some patterns or habits, and those things certainly stayed with me. And on one hand, I think it was useful from a drive and ambition perspective, but I also had reached a stage in life where you know the the balance of striving and suffering. Um, you know, I was in a I was in a place where I had a long term significant relationship end, and then a pretty big health scare. Uh, and coming out of that, I started to ask different kinds of questions about my life and and the meaning of it. And I I have to tell you, um, you know, I around that time I did not find Hoffman. Uh, it found me. And I don't think it was a coincidence. I had never known anybody that had gone to Hoffman. I had never talked to anybody that had been to Hoffman. I had never heard of Hoffman. It was one late night scrolling through Instagram where somebody I was following made a comment. And I just, I don't know why, but I clicked and I ended up on the website. The next day I called three weeks later, I was there. Wow. That's a, uh, that's a good story. No previous information. That's a lot of trust. It, it was uh, it was a lot of trust, and, a, and, a, and it was a bit of a leap of faith. But I was uh, I was ready for a change. What I was doing wasn't working, I, but I didn't know precisely why, because all, all of the cues around me were reinforcing kind of staying on this treadmill and building and growing and striving and uh, and you know that that. Um, that can be useful in one sense, but I think in another sense, and certainly for me, I had reached a point where I, I wanted to do do things differently. And Hoffman yeah, was know, a catalyst for that for me. That's that's great. We in the process, as you know, we talk about the difference between doing and having. Like it starts with uh, that. You said that external reinforcement, and um, I think. It's interesting because sometimes I wonder if if part of what we're doing is is undoing the not just the family patterns, but also some of the cultural patterns that exist in our world. I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I would actually go f- so far as to say uh, some of my family patterns were then directly reinforced culturally. And, you know, the, the mm-hmm. whole idea of you know, work real hard, build a business, hustle and grind and strive for more. And it, it, it gets rewarded. It is that external validation. And of course, you couple that with me standing on stages, trying to get a standing ovation and, and really being dependent oh. upon that. And, and you know, it's, I think it's all related. It's corollary. Um, you know, and and so I, I think that's absolutely true. That it's culturally we reinforce. At least we did, um, and maybe this moment of pause will be a reckoning with that. I think it's 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 proving true for a lot of people I know. Is that what your? Well, what are you seeing now? As someone works who works closely in the business world, what are you noticing about the impact of COVID nineteen and the layoffs and? This whole shift. Well, it's painful, you know. I, I think from a, when, from a f- pure business perspective, um, there's a lot of fear, trepidation, and uncertainty. And I think um, because of the uncertainty, this crisis is unique. You know, information is you know it's it's evolving and changing, and we really don't have enough understanding of what the world's going to look like to to really do 
super tight modeling and strategy. So this is a time where business leaders are being forced to make critical decisions and then update those decisions as the landscape changes and or new information is available. And we we're there are a lot of people in business and leadership that, that have neither been trained nor had to confront that kind of a challenge. So for many people that it's new it's and it's overwhelming. The other thing that I'm witnessing too is I, I just, and I believe this, that you know while we're collectively all experiencing this together, everybody is having their own unique individual experience inside of it that could be based on your circumstances, your job, your family, your own personal situation. So, you know, the both dual- are true, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. And so you have that this- on one hand, it's a collective experience. And then on the other hand, it's a very, very unique experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody, um, that's everybody has their own unique challenge inside of that. I know for me personally, you know, it's, it's a challenge to, you know, live alone. And at times I felt very isolated and lonely, but my business manager, Lynn, who I work with every day, you know, she's a mother of three and she's navigating family challenges. Her daughter's a senior in high school, got a lot taken from her. There's a lot of uncertainty about what the next year is going to look like for her. So she has to navigate that internally in her house. And it's just a very, we're both facing challenges. They're just very different. So I think, you know, again, take something from the process and into life, the, you know, the ability to be aware and present and hold space and have compassion and understanding for each other as we move this forward. I think that's critical, both from a human perspective, but it's also absolutely necessary in business from a leadership perspective. I love it. Such clarity and skill with words. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. (laughs) So, so Ryan, if take us to your process and if we were a fly on the wall of your process, where, where did you break open? Where did you find your (laughs) truth? Where were you struggling the most that you came clean of that? Well, 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 sure. Uh, you were part of one of those moments, if you recall. He, here's what happened to me. I showed up at the process and I and I shared without any background. So you can imagine, you know, the process is very experiential and it's such a a beautiful, heart opening journey. And it was unlike anything I had ever been exposed to previously. So I can I can tell you the first night when someone said I remember who said it too, it was Linda, who became my teacher. She said, you know, you, you are not your patterns. Well, I raised my hand and said, hey, if I'm not that, who am I? I don't know who I am then. And she said, well, you're, there's something deeper inside you, your, your spiritual self. I said, okay, you've lost me there because I don't know what you're talking about. And I, I just didn't have that foundation, right? So I was, you know, I was very closed off. It was uh, the first couple of days were very uncomfortable for me and I, I didn't engage. And I think it was just realizing, and I think, you know, a conversation with you and one or two of my classmates helped, helped me realize that this was a moment I had, I had worked hard to get there. I had come far for the experience and to be all in the experience. And so really, really opening myself up and being brave enough to let other people see me, you know, and, and you talk about cultural conditioning, Drew. You know, I, I think for a lot of years in my life, I, I hid behind a mask and it was so easy to talk about my work. 
you know, I, I was Ryan, the keynote speaker, or Ryan, the entrepreneur, and, and, you know, whether it was a cocktail party or being introduced to people for the first time, that was an easy place for me to dive into conversation. What do you do? This is what I do. Tell me more about that. And it was comfortable and safe and familiar to me. Put a name tag on me where I'm just Ryan and I'm not allowed to go there. I, I, you know, this whole feeling of who am I and what are these people going to think of me? And I remember graduating, I, I said this uh, out loud. I said, you know, when I got here, I, I just, I, I've learned so much. But one of the things I learned was I was so afraid that without that mask on, you were going to see all the way inside of me and not really like what you saw. And it scared me. So I was so reticent the first couple of days. And then by the end of it, I was like, can we all stay here a month? This is wonderful. <laughs> it's unconditional love. Um, and, but that's the, that's the heart opening part of the, the journey. And, and, and you know, there's a relation to something I mentioned, you know, the individual experience. I think what's so beautiful about the process is you're having your individual heart opening experience and resolving some of maybe your negative patterns, but you're doing it as part of a collective and it's 38, 35 other beautiful souls on their own individual journey, but we're doing this. We've come to do this work together. And and I love the connection to the shelter in place that together, yeah, but separate. It is. It's together, but separate. And, and there's a humanity about that when you, when you are privileged to bear witness to the courage it takes to go all in and experience like that. And you feel the support and love from others. It's a pretty magical thing that, that happens by the end of a week. So, so open hearted Ryan steps out of the process and then back into his corporate hard driving life how how do you integrate those two how did that work yeah i i would say that it's a difficult transition uh and i'll i'll be i'll be front and center and real candid about that um you know it, it wasn't perfect and maybe i was a little bit naive or perhaps even arrogant about about the transition back um because I thought, okay, I, I did it. I graduated. I have all of this now. And then it's just so easy to slip right back into what's so familiar. Your routines, your conditioning, you know, you get triggered and those patterns come up inside you. And uh, so I, I, I think probably like a lot of graduates, um, you know, I've experienced some setbacks or maybe some periods where, you know, I, I, I wasn't maybe either living or conducting myself as, a, as the heart-centered version of me. And that, that can be particularly painful. Setbacks can be painful because, you know, you, you have the awareness now, but the <laughs> awareness isn't. And it takes more than just knowing. It kind of yeah. takes knowing and doing and being in the groove of that. And so, you know, for me, um, what, I've, what I've had to kind of realize is that this you know, doing what I, I refer to now as the inner work, um, that isn't a sometime thing. That that has to be an all of the time thing. And yeah, I, you know, I mean, that awareness hell of, of we now we know and yet we're still stuck in this place is almost, well, it's it can be worse than sometimes the ignorance of not knowing, but we can't go back. We do know. Right. And, and it's the expression and self-compassion and the recycling yeah. and the visioning. 
That's it. You have to, you know, you have to, that's why I think a lot of times inner work is referred to as a practice. You have, you have to be doing the work. You have to be practicing. And yeah, for me, I think, and for people like me, people that are kind of type A, hard charging, driven, you you know, uh, have a, have a striving orientation. Um, you know, the, the setbacks can be pretty painful because, you know, we're hard on ourselves. I push myself. And so it's, man, you, you knew better, but you didn't do better. Mm. And that, that is the hell and that you described, but you know, so how not- did you get out of that? What was different that you eventually sort of practiced yourself into? Well, I, I think when I end up in that place and I have a couple of times, I, I think I have to recommit or rededicate myself to, to doing the work. And, and so, you know, I've, I've been to two Q2 graduate sessions. Um, I did a one day course this year prior to all of this starting on, on self-compassion and self-love. Mm-hmm. And then I've been in taking, taking full advantage of, you know, the Instagram live and, and doing the quad tr- checks and some gratitude and appreciation. So I, you know, I, I would say over the few years, you know, I've, I've fought, and then we have a wonderful reunion every summer in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, with, with a group from our class and, and one other class. Um, this, this couple that I'm close with, Matt and Julie, they host this so generous. And, and so we get a big group of people together. And I, you know, that's, that's a great thing to look forward to. And it's great. And, and we work, we do work while we're there. It's not just a party. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, you know, we're spending a good chunk of the day, you know, in, in circle and, and working through things. And it's, that's been helpful too. So I think, you know, for me, what I've recognized is those patterns are deeply ingrained. I mean, it, it took a long time for me to get here. And if I want to get there, uh, I have to keep doing the work. That's just, that's it. great. That's beautiful. So let me ask you a question. How does, how does that play in the corporate world? Do they, do they, I mean, what is, I imagine I'm just sitting here listening to you. And if I'm a CEO, I'm thinking about the bottom line and productivity and efficiency. And if you start talking about internal work and self-compassion, does that even work for the people you're, you're pitching to? Perhaps not necessarily on the surface. And so you're right. You know, the, the C, the charter of the CEO is to grow the business. I mean, that's pretty clear, but if, uh, but if through some, some dialogue or perhaps even some engagement and experiences, you, you can demonstrate that there is a correlation between, you know, highly effective, uh, leadership and leaders that are, are willing to be courageous and vulnerable and, and engage emotionally uh, and put people first. I always say one of my philosophies is put people first. Performance and profitability will follow. And it's my thesis is that leadership isn't a job. It's a responsibility. And it's not about us. It's about helping other people achieve their true potential. But if you're going to be a leader that's, that's uh, you know, it, leading in truly leading in the service of others, then you've got to reconcile some things oftentimes inside of you. So I, you know, I believe that leadership is an inside out job and leaders that are committed to doing inner work, um, I, I think are position themselves to have a lot more impact and be a lot more effective, which ultimately then translate to the translates to the growth of the business. And I would say it depends on where a CEO is and their willingness or ability to understand or accept that. But what's so interesting is that 
a moment in time like this, a true crisis, I think calls some of that forward. And and what's exciting to me is that some of these practices, like like mindfulness, right? It's being mm. more embraced in traditional corporate arena, the traditional corporate arena, and I think that's a really good thing. So, do you have some? I mean, I'm I'm thinking about you in your process and the pain that brought you here. And in fact, part of the beginning is the pain that brought me here. And I'm imagining that um, it's helpful if CEOs come to you and there's some level of pain or a corporate interpretation of pain. Um, and, And is that helpful? And have you had CEOs who who where nothing's wrong, they just want better productivity. And does that not work as well? What's your take on that? Yeah, look, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's oftentimes challenge or crisis that brings us to the precipice of change. And so, you know, you look back at the last couple of years where, you know, growth was so explosive. We were in an unprecedented bull run in the market. You know, corporate profits were at an all-time high. There was there was maybe too much of an appetite for more and to stay on the treadmill. And you know, we could have a whole conversation about, you know, publicly traded companies and and how that gets reinf- that cycle of growth gets so reinforced and we have a bit of a myopic short-term view on the way we're running our businesses and I think it's good that that's changing. And and I you know there's a correlation between companies that are purpose-driven and values-led uh, having higher returns to shareholders. And so getting, mm-hmm. you know, getting leaders to see that and maybe having a longer range view of the business and their responsible responsibility in it, I think is is really really critical. But but here we are in this unique moment in time, navigating this collective crisis. And I think what's what's true today is that the decisions that leaders, the decisions and actions that leaders take now and in these coming months, will define both them and their companies for years to come. And, who's and, gonna who's gonna do well? Who who who's gonna make it and who who's not? How, how are we gonna tell? Yeah, look, I I, I mean, well, I, I I don't think I don't think we'll be able to tell on the scoreboard um probably until till sometime into the future. But I think this is requiring companies to adapt traditional business models and and willing and it's requiring leaders to be a whole lot more comfortable being uncomfortable this is this is that moment where you venture into the unknown right it's it's you know it's a great metaphor for the hero's journey where you know you you have to evolve and and meet both your people and customers where they are or where they're going into the future you know i was reading some research from mckinsey this morning and the way they describe this is an accelerated cycle of disruption. So the mm-hmm. amount of disruption we're going to experience in business through this is accelerating things five years into the future. There is pain around recon- recognizing that. And I think the, the, the companies that are going to succeed in the future are agile enough and flexible enough and adaptive enough to respond to that the right way. Yeah. That's a, um, I mean, I know how 
humans handle the unknown, but when you multiply that and create a company, that's a, uh, how, how do companies generally handle the unknown? I would say generally not well, and it's no different than an individual, right? You know, there's, there's a collective or a natural resistance to change. And especially, especially when there's trauma around change, this is a forced change event. So I think we a didn't lot of, ask for it. No, no. And, 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 you know, that creates a very different energy and emotional response because when change is planned, you know, if there's clear recognition that we're going to a new place or we're be evolving or becoming something different, you can plan for it, communicate it, strategize mm -hmm. it, get buy-in, you know, take it piecemeal. That actually, actually can be very inviting and invigorating in a business. This is the opposite of that. And there's so much uncertainty still packed into this that it's, it's creating, it's creating this, this fear and trepidation and panic. So leadership is so critical during this moment in time. I mean, you know, and there's so, <laughs> you could look at our country's response to this as an example, right? I mean, you, you have to be a leader that creates a compelling vision of the future, but also can clearly articulate the path to getting there and trust and transparency and humility and vulnerability and appreciation and gratitude. You know, some of the things that we talk about through the process, they're so important now to, to bringing people together to get through this to the other side. And that's it's almost like it's easier to sit on the sidelines and take pot shots for some leaders oh, and, I... and, and, and react to, and kind of chip away at other people's versions of it. I, I do get that vulnerability and transparency in leadership because you're, you're out front. You're out front. And even if you don't have all the answers, um, even if you have to make decisions and then update or course correct those decisions as new information is revealed, this is the moment for emotionally intelligent leaders to rise to the occasion and to bring people together um, and to create businesses that aren't a just about the bottom line, but they're actually making the world a better place. And that might be a little altruistic, even for some of my clients, but that's what's required in this moment in time. And there is are, there, go is ahead. there, have there been people that you've said, maybe you should give the Hoffman process a go and, oh. and does that work for CEOs coming in? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, of course. I mean, I, <laughs> um, two, two of my closest friends, uh, both very driven and successful entrepreneurs um, went through the process. Um, I, you know, one of my friends, he's a venture capitalist. He's in finance. Uh, he's built and invested in a lot of successful businesses. So he's working with CEOs on a daily basis, guiding their strategy, their capital structure. I mean, that's his world. And uh, I, I, you know, I think his experience through the process changed him for the better. It certainly deepened our friendship and relationship. And I, I, I think it's had an imprint on, 
on his whole life, including how he runs his business. And it's been beautiful to see that. So, you know, I'll default to the philosophy. Leadership is an inside out game. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, I've written a little bit about the process. And I think, you know, uh, going through Hoffman just evolved my my position and presence and, and in many ways, my content and the work I do. And I see how deeply that resonates with other people who covet it. I, I just had a the chief revenue officer of a very well-known large organization reach out and and what he wants support with is the inner work. He wants to be a better leader. He knows mm-hmm. he has some blind spots, gaps, or obstacles. And and as part of our relationship, I I am I, and I told him this. I said I have a place you can go and and begin your journey of of healing, self discovery, and growth. And that's the Hoffman process. That's great. And I I know you've also worked with some NFL teams and some NBA teams. And, and I'm aware that you are a Timberwolves fan. That must be a challenging time to have no NBA season, no Wolves games to go to. Yeah, it's a challenging time. And they, they also are a very good client of mine. Um, and I'll, I'll make a comment about the Wolves. And, you know, I, I work mostly with the business side, not with the players, coaches, or the team. So our, our focus has been on on leadership and sales, our collective work. But they're an example of an organization that has two incredible leaders. Their their CEO, uh, Ethan, and their COO, Ryan, are, are, are friends of mine. They're great clients, and they're just the most genuine, authentic, open, uh, compassionate leaders. They, they truly care about the people in the organization and the results they achieve. And, and I just... Um, They've had setbacks and nobody knows what's going to happen with, you know, NBA. Are they going to have a season this summer, some kind of playoff? What does next year look like? You know, I think the future of live events, it, it remains very uncertain right now. But I, long term, I have such confidence in the future of that organization. And it's because of their leadership. Mm. And, you know, you, you and I haven't talked about this, but when I think about you, I think about the Twin City areas, Minneapolis. Do you feel at home there? It seems like you have a nice sense of place when it comes to where you live. Yeah, I, I do. You know, it's, it's interesting for me. You know, since I graduated from college, I, I haven't lived in the same city as anybody in my immediate family. Um, you know, my brother did the same thing. We we both went out on these separate journeys to to build our careers, our lives, and you know, I, I moved around a bit, but ended up in Minneapolis. And I, you know, I think it's a it's a great community. I mean, I built great relationships here, both personally and and professionally. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, it, it just feels comfortable for me. It's the right size of city. Um, there's tons of recreation lakes. It's still somewhat cosmopolitan and it's in the center of the country. So, you know, for somebody that was traveling over a hundred days a year, it was an easy place to, to live mm. and do business in. And then, you know, in the winter, I would just stack up a bunch of trips to places like Miami and San Diego and escape the cold. So it worked, it's worked out pretty good so far. <laughs> That's great. You know, I um, I have to say, as a teacher of the process, um, I always um, I appreciate working with all students, but I have a particular interest in working with men because I think when it comes to their inner world and their emotions and vulnerability, 
we're, we're just not very good at it. We're not taught to be good at it. We're not supported in doing it. And oftentimes the process can be scarier and harder for them. Do you, do you have a sense of gender and masculinity and the, the shell that that creates around our heart? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're essentially describing me. And so the idea of, of being emotional or vulnerable um, or heart-centered, and I didn't have that language, obviously, but that, that, was, uh, you know, that, that was pushed out of me at a very young age. It was considered soft or weak, and it just wasn't the way I think um, you know, me or so many of my friends were conditioned. And so you're right. Uh, I, I think I think for someone like me, and I can speak for some of my friends now who have gone through the process, and that that list continues to grow. I think showing up on those doorsteps was was really more out of out of just a need because you know there was suffering in the way we were operating. That that conditioning that starts when you're young and maybe gets reinforced culturally or in your career. It you know if if you don't reconcile that or soften that a little bit it can it can be harmful and and so you're yeah. at, you're absolutely right and you know we we had a moment I don't know if you remember it was our second or third day through the process and you weren't my small group teacher but you pulled me aside and said hey you know what what are you doing here and I said I'm trying to figure this all out it's a little and 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 you just said hey like you really should go all in just just let go. You know, you don't, you don't have to stretch, just, just be in this and see where you end up on the other side. And that, that was a pivotal moment for me because I had resistance. I was just unsure. And this was really strange for me. And, you know, I had come from a place where I had done no interior work, you know, it just wasn't part of my language or lexicon or something I even thought about. Um, and, and that push or prompt probably from some, uh, you know, a guy who's masculine and I was like, okay, okay. I'm, you're right. I, I'm, I'm going to really put myself in this with everything I've got. I'm here. I'm not connected to the outside world. I've got, you know, six more days to go. Let's let go and go into this. And that was a, you know, I'll be forever grateful for you for doing that. It was a turning point. Well, it's part of the the reward of doing the work is to see people make that that transition in that moment from uh, holding on to letting go. And what they find is themselves. Uh, and that letting go is well worth it. But as a as fellow conditioned males, what do you think like if you could, based on your own experience and your 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 professional experience in working with so many males um and and white men in particular in, in as the such that a large percentage of the corporate world at its leadership level um what would you say like what what do we need to do to improve our eq or to show up how do we get out of this conditioning and into a better way? What's your take? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, I think a big part of that is it. You know, you use the word letting go. Um, it, it is you know really trying to kind of manage the ego and and you know in Hoffman we use language like you know left road and right road or the dark side. 
it's really kind of minimizing that to the degree. And I, I think too often in, in leadership with achievement-oriented people or people that are striving, our identity is so attached. Our self-worth gets so attached to our outcome or our success. And, and that isn't the healthiest place to be. It can be a driver. I, I will certainly acknowledge that. But it can also perpetuate worry and anxiety and stress and fear and all of these negative and protectionism and frustration mm. and anger and all of these other things. And, you know, taking off Brene Brown uses the term armor. I, I, always referred to this my mask like setting that down and really kind of looking deeper right it's 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 almost committing to okay that that's useful to a point but i, I think looking deeper or even looking to go on a further journey you know if you're if you're somebody that's questioning is there more inside me or you know why do i do these things you know asking those bigger questions i think can begin the process of of you know having a a better relationship with yourself which then flows outwardly to others and that you know that concept of you know your worth is already provided you are enough learning how to truly love yourself and then the effect that that can have on the people around you is a compelling reason to go through the, the challenge of the work. Because it's not the easiest thing to do, right? It's, yeah, it's especially not. if you're not familiar with it, it can be very uncomfortable. Part of what's beautiful about Hoffman is it's not the easiest place to get to, right? Like, you, you know, I had organized my life so I could do this and my business. And it was, one, I'm not going to quit. And two, okay, not only am I not going to quit, but I'm not going to sit in the back with my arms crossed judging this either. Yeah. I'm going to just let go. And yeah. I, I swear, I mean, that by that night, I was having conversations with people I didn't know well that I've never had with anybody in my life. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was the beginning, a beginning of an awakening, I guess. What's it like to take your mind and your heart back to those moments, those days, those times. I, I, <laughs> boy, you, you asked that at the perfect time. I literally can feel, I can feel different in my body. I almost get a little lump in my throat. You know, it's, it's, um, mm. I, I just, you know, I'm grateful I got to go and even talking about it, you know, um, it, it makes me want to commit to go further um, because it's, it's just so easy to jump back on the treadmill or slip back into the way things are. And our cultural conditioning will reinforce and validate that doing that is a good thing. Right. And, and, and so you almost have to be cognizant and aware that uh, of, of what you've committed to and, and what the awareness now means so you can live differently. And I, and I think that, you know, managing that is, it takes some effort. It just does. Well, Ryan, you're like a, a bridge from the, from the corporate world to the heart world. And so uh, like, we need guys like you to keep bringing the open heart to the capitalistic, uh, hard driving business world. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I, well, I, I appreciate that. Um, especially coming from you, one of my, my teachers and you were there to witness kind of 
my first step toward inner work. And uh, I literally, I feel like I was like Bambi in the woods, like stumbling around, you know, what is this? It's so weird, oh, but it's so beautiful. And, and uh, I mean, I, I, I think about going through Hoffman. I mean, just the emotional experience of that. I, I mean, the, you know, I, I was like, man, did I cry any time in the last five years? And I've cried five consecutive days. It's like, and it's beautiful. I felt like there was all this weight that was like released inside me. And um, I, it's just, that's, that's such a compliment for me because that's part of where I want my work to go in the future, if I can bridge those two worlds. And it's so interesting. I, you know, I, I've been asking leaders, particularly through this time, uh, and a question that's been useful to me, you know, am I making this decision from a place of, of fear or from a place of love? Is this, is this a, a head-based decision, an intellectual decision, or is it a heart-based mm. decision? You know, am, am, is, is this, is this my ego driving me here? Is this protection and fear? And or or is is this truly an authentic decision that comes from a deeper place? And I I have this visual that I use now to coach and guide leaders through you know head versus heart and um and and, and you know, it takes it takes some warming up to get to that conversation oftentimes for people that haven't been exposed to the work. But um, I, I think people can intuitively understand, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, particularly when a challenge or crisis arrives, you know, how do, how, do we, how do we decide and how do we show up in those moments? And um, so, the, you know, what the process has been useful for me in terms of applying it back to business and how I do that work now. Well, I'm grateful for this conversation, Ryan. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. No, so it's a privilege and a, and just a, a pleasure to reconnect and and take a walk back down through um, you know that pivotal and and meaningful experience in my own life. And you know, I, I appreciate the continued support and guidance and and the incredible work that the institute does you know, around uh, awakening, awakening students in the process and then supporting graduates uh, as we move forward in life. So thank you. You're welcome, brother. listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.